It's a big week in the Big Ten. It's a busy week in the Big Ten. A lot going on all over the conference from Maryland to Michigan to Penn State. We're going to talk Michigan and Penn State coming up. We're going to talk a lot. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Welcome back. I'm Sean Fitz. That's Tyler Donahue. And just a ton going on this week. Uh, We'll we'll start with Maryland. We're not going to spend too much time on Maryland because you probably already are sick of hearing about Maryland. They reinstated DJ Durkin, the Board of Regents, uh, the Tone Deaf Board of Regents, reinstated DJ Durkin following the Jordan McNair fallout and everything going on down there. Didn't even take 24 hours. Public opinion swayed that decision. All of a sudden, DJ Durkin's no longer there. Maryland now looking for a coach. So how about that for turning it on its head? A lot of external noise right away about that, you know, whether it was reporters or or Maryland graduates. I have a a few friends who are Maryland graduates, and uh, they were expressing, you know, their concern about it and really just kind of disgust about the situation. And um, obviously, when you hear from from the mother of Jordan McNair, that's heartbreaking, you know, every time. There's another gut punch. Um, it's really tough to, to fathom what what his family is going through, and and obviously you know he he's uh, he was a very popular young man, and, and PJ Mustafer here you know locally at Penn State played college uh, played high school football with him, and you know you see it across social media all all the people who are hurting about this decision, um, including players on the current current Maryland roster. So they're going to play a football game on Saturday, but at this point I have to imagine you know Terps fans included aren't too concerned about you know those 60 minutes of action they're more concerned about what the heck is going on with their university leadership and with that athletic department very very familiar situation for a lot of people listening like i said we're not going to spend too much time on maryland but i think the one thing to look at is that coaching search maryland is now sort of going to get out ahead of anything everything and i do think with the way that they've handled this situation it's going to turn a lot of people off but you look at a name like mike loxley a guy that's you know penn state fans know from his time in illinois and his time spent recruiting the dmv that's going to be i think a very popular choice among among maryland players among people in that area that want to sort of bring in one of one of their own, even though, you know, he's, uh, you know, he spent some time at Maryland, but he's, he's been other places. The Alabama offensive coordinator, Alabama is rolling along right now. He of of course has a bunch of commits from that area. He goes in there, maybe all of a sudden things change uh, recruiting wise for Maryland. Um, They're going to go against Penn state in an area where you've got a ton of talent in 2020. That could really be the major impact. And when we know that Penn state's going to play Maryland every year and they play them in three weeks, but this is going to eventually have an impact on how Penn State recruits that area, I think. Yeah, and Maryland's got to prioritize a guy who can go into that area and recruit. You know, I think early on with Durkin, they had a nice little bit of a role. And, you know, Dwayne Haskins was committed to that program. And uh, Anthony McFarland, another local player, uh, you know, going there, running back. It, it, it seemed like they were trending in the right direction. This obviously you know, brings that to a screeching halt. Um, they haven't really produced on the football field when they're not playing Texas, which is just one of the more bizarre things in college football. And I think you bring up a good point there with Loxley. And by the way, if, if he was the, the man to get that job, curious to see how that would impact Josh Gaddis, who replaced him as wide receivers coach at Alabama when he got that promotion. Um, that would be an interesting domino effect to dissect a little bit in Tuscaloosa. But uh, yeah, Loxley someone who comes to mind. And I saw on our Maryland 24-7 sports uh, site mentioning Mike Leach. And it's always fun when you get him involved in a coaching search. Obviously doing a nice job at Washington State. Interesting character. He would have had he would add a, a something to the Big Ten. I can say that much, especially in the conference get-togethers. And uh, 
I think you're right, though, because of the toxic environment that that has been established there and repeatedly uh, been kind of pointed to, uh, they're going to have to pay someone a lot of money or they're going to have to take a chance on somebody who maybe in another circumstance wouldn't qualify for that job. But I think bottom line, it's got to be someone who's motivated to recruit that area because we've seen other teams in the Big Ten across college football really come and plunder Maryland for its top talent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and a guy like Loxley could come in there and, and not lock things down, but could really stop some of that bleeding. If he keeps somebody like uh, Azar Abdurrahim, defensive backs coach, who's well-respected down there, could just really you know bring up a situation worth monitoring more so than when DJ Durkin was there for Penn State. Not going to spend too much time on that. Uh, Michigan State plays, Mar- plays at Maryland this week. That's a, a fairly big game in the middle of the standings of the Big Ten right now. Another uh, On the other side, Purdue-Iowa, uh, an interesting game. And Notre Dame-Northwestern's the night game. Northwestern knocked off Wisconsin last week. They'll get a shot at Notre Dame which has playoff implications as well. But we're here to talk Penn State. Michigan, the line right around 10.5 right now. By the way, Vegas last week, uh, Penn State by, I think, 5.5. And and Penn State ended up winning by 6. Never ceases to amaze me. Uh, Last time out at Michigan Stadium, not good. Penn State blown out in 2016. Penn State blew out Michigan last year in in 2017. And by the way, Michigan players not too happy with that loss. Um, They said Penn State disrespected them. Uh, One of the guys that said that, former Penn State commissioner, who also flipped two double birds to the uh, Beaver Stadium crowd last year, so disrespect, what have you. Um, but, yeah, it's just some uh, just some crazy turn on, uh, just sort of turning it on its head from that rivalry. You saw that with Penn State, Michigan State, where it was a blowout one year, a blowout the next year, and then they come back and play a couple uh, close games. So that could be in that same situation. I think these teams more even than a 11-point, 10.5-point spread would indicate. But at the same time, that's a tough place to play. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, when you look at Penn State and their path to Indianapolis on an annual basis, the three opponents in the Big Ten East that you look at, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State. Now, Ohio State, Michigan State, the last couple of years, they've felt like elimination games. They've felt like, you know, that kind of environment where it's down to the wire and hanging in the balance. The last two Michigan-Penn State matchups have been so one-sided, it's hard to get a kind of a read on where things are. I mean, there are some constants here. Trace McSorley um, got a lot of returners on the on the Michigan side of the football, of course. Uh, but, you know, there's a new quarterback in place at Michigan. John O'Corn was certainly not up to, ta- to the task of going into Beaver Stadium and playing well last year. But I will say that the argument that Penn State was somehow disrespectful, and, of course, this is just purely from you know my view in the, in the press box, this was the game that, you know, deep into the third quarter – was a two-possession game, Sean. And, and and then Penn State scored twice in the first half of the fourth quarter to, to widen that margin, margin to, to 29 points, and that's where it finished. But you know, Penn State was up 21-13 at halftime, 28-13 going into the fourth quarter. If the argument is that Penn State somehow poured it on, I, I don't understand that. Well, if you're Michigan, I mean, you're not used to getting blown out. And, you know, if, if you're Penn State, you want to blow out Michigan. Michigan wants to blow out Penn. I mean, it, it, what are we talking about here? I mean, it's a it, disrespect or what have you. I mean, Penn State, a, you know, at the end of the game was running circles around Michigan. And, and that's just somehow sometimes how it goes. This year, I don't think we see that. I think, uh, you know, maybe lower scoring is a tough way to put it. I have Penn State uh, losing 28-20. We'll get that one out of the way. But uh, I think Michigan uh, – the the, the road trip is very tough. Michigan's strong across the board, and they're going to run the hell out of the ball. They're, they're, they're going to try to run the hell out of the ball. Penn State's 
depth up the middle is, you know, number one, if you're talking about what Penn State's defense has to do, they got to stay fresh up the middle. This is a Michigan team that wore down Wisconsin, wore down Michigan State, which is obviously not an easy thing to do on either count. But Penn State's got to stay fresh up the middle, and that's that's where they've been in trouble this year. Yeah, this is, you know, this is going to be interesting because this Michigan team, for all the talk about the quarterback and Shea Patterson, you know, Elite 11 MVP, a former five-star quarterback, um, you know, viewed as that missing piece, this Michigan team still is built on its defense and its run game. And because of Shea Patterson's presence and, and, and the steady hand he brings to that quarterback position, uh, they've been able to do a lot of good things. And, and it all starts with Karan Higdon at running back, Sean. And, and he's a guy that I think fans are probably pretty used to. He's been involved in that offense now for four years. He's a senior. A nice year last year, but he's he's on his way to a really special season right now. Uh, three out of the four weeks that preceded their bye week, Higdon carried the ball at least 25 games. Uh, most recently against Michigan State, 33 carries for 140 yards. Uh, that's not a glamorous production day. They had somewhere around less than four and a half yards per carry. But that's just to punch you in the mouth repeatedly when it's a windy game against Michigan State. The defense is doing its job. You come away 21-7, to make sure that clock gets down where it needs to be. So this is a Michigan team that I think first and foremost is going to want to deliver a few of those punches on, 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 on the you know early series against Penn State, test out where that defensive line is at, particularly along the interior. And I think we'll find out pretty early uh, if Penn State's up to that challenge because if they're getting gashed early, this isn't Pitt. This isn't Illinois. They're not going to be able to bounce back and, and, and shut this Michigan team down if they're having their way in the trenches. That Michigan-Michigan State game was not a glamorous day at all for anyone involved. But uh, Jim Harbaugh had some some praise for Penn State's defensive line earlier this week, said it's probably the best group that they've come, ac- come across. Now that can be, you know, coach speak or whatnot. But, you know, the defensive ends have stepped up. The defense, the starting defensive tackles have been, have been fine. I think it's just when you sort of get further into the game, you saw this against Michigan State. They wore down. They weren't able to play all the snaps, and, and, and that they really struggled from there. Whereas, when, you know, Michigan State would have been passing at that point in the game Michigan's still going to run I think they threw for four yards against Wisconsin in the second half or or something crazy Um, so they're just going to run and run and run Um, Penn State's linebackers obviously this is going to be a test for those guys Um, we saw some of the younger guys getting some more time last week but you know can you trust them going into the big house can you trust your starters going into the big house they haven't been great or anything like that so uh, the front seven is going to be insanely in the spotlight I think the one spot where Penn State has a, a decent size advantage those defensive ends have been playing really well. Sharif Miller, Yitor Gross Matos, both playing well. Shaka Tony had four sacks a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Michigan's offensive tackles, they've really struggled against Notre Dame. They've improved since. They've, they've made some strides since. But this is a spot where Penn State, I think, can get him. And if you get Shea Patterson to, to have to make some snap decisions, he turned the ball over at Ole Miss last year. He's been better about that this year. But um, if you if you have him making those snap decisions, then you know all of a sudden you, you turn a turnover into something and you flip field position and you're in a good spot. I think we're going to learn a lot about Shea Patterson and his importance and his potential value to Michigan this week because coming into this game through his first eight contests in a, in a uniform uh, there with the Wolverines, you know, he's never gone over 30 pass attempts. And, and this is a guy who, you know, one of the best arms I've seen coming out of high school and an exceptional passer, but he just hasn't had to take on that task. They've been in a position to put away games late. They're not going to divert from the plan. The ball's going to go to Higdon and they're going to try to wear teams down and wear down the, those cl- the the clock but I think Shea Patterson you know this is a circumstance for him where 
uh, you know, the legs are, are going to be tested, I think, because they will get pressure off the edge. Uh, Penn State has been pretty consistent with that in recent weeks. I expect that to continue uh, in this game against Michigan. Um, so we're going to see Shea Patterson, you know, be that improvisational guy. That's what I think has separated him during a lot of his career, high school and college, is his ability uh, to improvise when things break down for him, if there's pressure off the edge to step up, uh, move laterally, look downfield. Now, to this season, uh, he had a 90-yard game on the ground against Wisconsin, but 81 of those yards came on one carry. Aside from that, uh, he's gone over 30 rushing yards just once in a game. So he hasn't been a major rushing threat, but I think people are going to see a little bit of what you see with Trace McSorley where um, he can make something happen uh, even if you know option A and option B are wiped out because of a rough start to the play. He can, he can prolong things and, and find someone open downfield. They do have the weapons for him to do that, um, but I think it will be imperative uh, for these defensive ends to, to be at it quarter one through quarter four, and that's where you look at the depth. Can you get a, a, a consistent game from Shaka Tony, uh, Shane Simmons? Can those guys do some damage? Because I think you have a lot of faith right now um, in those two starters, Sharif Miller, and then we've talked about it earlier this week, Gross Matos playing as well as any defensive lineman in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, and, and, and the pocket is not necessarily the most important thing. You'd actually like to keep Shea Patterson in that. So when things break down for him, it's not exactly the worst thing in the world. And that gets me to, to my next point. Penn State's got to keep a cap on those wide receivers. They've got some speed. They've got some talent. And, and, and Penn State has done very well in the last couple of years in, in just keeping a lid on them, uh, not getting them deep or not, not allowing them to get deep, especially since that 2016 game out there. So Penn State's uh, safeties, Garrett Taylor under a lot of pressure here. Nick Scott had the pick last week. He's under a, a good deal of pressure here. Be curious to see how this goes. I think Penn State's better defense is when it's got in that nickel star package where you've got five defensive backs on there and you pull a linebacker off, considering how the linebacker play has been this year. So um, you're going to see a lot of base this week. You're going to see a lot of Jan Johnson or Ellis Brooks playing in there at a uh, middle linebacker. And that's be a lot of pressure on those guys to, you know, when, when they do decide to pass, which I don't think is going to be, you know, all that much. I don't think he's going to come out and throw it 35 or 40 times unless he has to then um that, there's a lot of pressure on those guys yeah, i think cam brown is a guy who's gotten a lot of love in recent weeks as the defense has made strides and, and it's and he's deserved it and i think this is the next uh, opportunity for him to take a step you know people forget he was highly actively involved uh, in this matchup two years ago as a freshman i think he had 10 tackles um you know obviously not a great situation for the team or him to be on the field at that point it wasn't a good result but you know, he's a guy who has experience playing in front of this large crowd at the big house, and and he's somebody that I think they're going to need to rely on. And, and and you know we talked last week about the importance of dealing with those tight ends, and and Iowa did have some success with those guys. Overall, rough day for for Stanley, their quarterback. But in this matchup, one of the more interesting guys in the country, I think, is Zach Gentry. I remember him playing quarterback in New Mexico, and a kid that. You know, no one really knew a lot about because, let's face it, we don't talk a lot about the New Mexico recruiting landscape. Comes to Michigan, he, he commits to the previous regime as a quarterback. He ends up signing w- with this coaching staff, uh, makes the maneuver over to tight end. He's about six seven, six foot eight. He's been productive. He leads this team with twenty three catches. He had a hundred yard output against Maryland uh, three or four weeks ago. Um, and then on the outside, I think they've got a really nice tandem of sophomores: Donovan Peoples Jones, Nico Collins, two of the top wide receiver prospects in the. 2017 class uh, and I think they complement each other very well Donovan Peoples-Jones is your classic home run threat um, you know he's a guy who's very very dangerous downfield averaging 15 yards a catch uh, he hasn't had a lot of volume Sean but when he does get his hands on the ball 
tends to be pretty good. One catch against Maryland, it was a 34-yard touchdown. One catch against Michigan State, it was a 79-yard touchdown. He had three scores in one game earlier in non-conference action. And then on the other side, Nico Collins, six foot four, about 220 pounds, uh, very you know much in that Jawan Johnson mode. He'll probably look a lot like Jawan a couple years down the line, but he's got length. He can extend for the football. Um, and so I think those it's, it's a really interesting arsenal. And again, the passing game hasn't really need to be relied upon. But I do get a feeling the way this game shapes up, Michigan's going to need to make some plays in the passing game they haven't really been required to make in recent weeks. I agree with you 100%. Michigan has not been made to throw the football. Um, Penn, if Penn State can put them in a position where they have to, you know, I think the potential is there. You mentioned the weapons. I uh, love Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's actually in, and they're without Tariq Black. Donovan Peoples-Jones, actually the reason Tariq Black never got a Penn State offer because they camped side by side and Peoples-Jones was so much better than him that uh, Tariq Black just kind of got moved to the back burner. But the, the, there's a lot of potential weapons there, but they haven't done it so far. They haven't been made to do it so far and, and and you know if you get to that situation in the third and fourth quarter where they have to make some big throws you, you never know how that way or which way that's going to go um you know it's it, it's a situation where penn state and we're gonna we're gonna t- take some easy talking points here penn state's got to start fast michigan is coming off that bye they've struggled in the past coming into big games off of uh you know extended leaves and we're talking bowl games we're talking the season opener against notre dames so we'll, we'll see what happens how they can pick it up and if penn state can maybe get a, a big kick return early, can maybe get a turnover early. I think that could go a real long game in extending uh, you know, Penn State's chances in this one. Yeah, and, and let me give an, another very simple statement. you got to avoid the three and outs early. It's been an issue for Penn State at times. I mean, it's been a consistent issue, really, much of the Big Ten. They've had some, some, you know, some impressive offensive moments, but too often their possessions have just lasted about a minute. You know, two incomplete passes, a three- or four-yard run, all of a sudden it, it, it's, it's third and seven and you got to convert and you don't. And I think I think if you get into that pattern where three of your first four possessions, you're punting the ball, um, that's a rough spot for, for Penn State's offense because I think they are very much fueled off of confidence. I think you've got guys out there. We'll, we'll see what the wide receiver group looks like, but I think you want to look to get DeAndre Tompkins actively involved, You know, continue that momentum that, that was really started last Saturday when he had his biggest game of the Big Ten. Um, you know, we're going to talk a lot about McSorley and where he is and, and, and how you know, up to this moment he is physically. Uh, but I think when you look at where Michigan is coming off of the bye week, if you told me they were coming off of that Michigan State game, you know, having to play a game one week later against Penn State in, in such a key situation, I would say there's an opportunity for a letdown. But there's a bye week there as a buffer. Their emotions came down, and now they're getting up again. I, I think – you know, they're in a good situation in terms of coming off of a game where they throttled Michigan State. It was emotional. I think everyone by now has seen the pregame skirmish and, and all the stuff that went on with the linebacker, Devin Bush. And they're going to be fueling off that, much like their coach, a lot of emotion involved. So if you give uh, Michigan an opportunity uh, to get off to a great start, I think it's going to be very hard to, to knock them off kilter, take the fans out of it. But this is a Michigan fan base that in the recent seasons, they've seen some letdowns on home turf that have really been head-scratching. So I think there is an opportunity if Penn State plays well, maybe takes an early lead, just keeps things close, forces some Michigan mistakes. You could see this fan base a little bit, turn the volume down just a little bit because I think they there is some hesitancy 
for them to fully buy into this team. I know you probably won't hear that from the Wolverines fans, but I think you'll notice it. The comments after that Notre game in the opener, there, I mean, people were very quick to, to push Harbaugh out. I mean, it's probably a similar thing that what we hear uh, and from frenzied fans here after tough losses at Penn State. But I, I just think there's an opportunity here for Penn State with a strong start to help themselves for the rest of that game in terms of the atmosphere they're playing in front of. Well, the pressure is on Michigan. I yeah. mean, you, you talk about a big ten, a potential Big Ten uh, title game berth, and if they trip up once, you know that's you know that puts everything on that Ohio State Michigan game at the end, and that's certainly not what they want. So, um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting situation. Conversely, I think this game has snowball potential, where if Penn State does have those three and outs, or they can't get their defense off the field, or maybe they kick a couple of field goals instead of you know finishing off drives, that this is a game that could get away from Penn State pretty quickly. So that's the the crazy thing about this game and I talked to a lot of people this week uh, how do you see this one playing out you, you just don't know because these are you know as we seem to mention every week these are teams and you're not quite sure what their their ceiling is um, are they uh, they're, they're certainly not uh, I don't think these are teams that can compete with Alabama and can be in, in that playoff and and make a dent in that but at the other t- at the at the same time I mean, these are fairly even teams coming into into this weekend there are plenty of times when numbers mean nothing but there are trends here, definitive trends that, that both of these teams are, are looking to kind of buck. You look at Penn State, uh, something that on the positive side, 31 straight games. I mentioned this stat earlier in the week, 31 straight games in which they've held the fourth quarter lead. Their largest deficit in a loss to this point was four points uh, against Michigan State during that 31-game stretch. So if they lose by 10, that will be extremely uncharacteristic for this program in the last two and a half years. Uh, and that would kind of reverse that trend. And then when you look at what they ha- on the negative side, Penn State has never won against a raked opponent on the road in James Franklin's tenure. That's something he would obviously love to check off of his list of accomplishments at Penn State. The last time they beat a ranked opponent was Bill O'Brien's last game on the road at Wisconsin. So some interesting trends there, you know, going in opposite directions for Penn State. Uh, but that's kind of why I have a hard time buying into the whatever it is, 10 and a half, 11 point spread here. Uh, just because I, I just, we haven't seen it from this Penn State team in a lot of difficult circumstances on the road at Ohio State last year. They're up late. I mean, I, I just, it, it's it would be the first time I have seen, put it this way, I've, I've moved here last summer. I've covered now, you know, almost 30 Penn State games or whatever the number is. And I've never seen Penn State, you know, lose the lose its grip on competition late in the game they've always been had a chance to win it at the end or had a chance to lose it at the end and and so haven't seen that yet and i've been covering this team for almost two full regular seasons Penn State doesn't have to be perfect, but you know they they have to be on their game, and I think that that's going to start with Trace McSorley. We we talked earlier this week about his re-entrance to the game and everything like that, but you know if you look at the the stats and you look at how he played, it wasn't anything close to you know what we expect from Trace McSorley based on the last couple of years. Last time he went out there was obviously something he would like to forget, um, but yeah, he's going to have to be better, and that's the I think that's the thing to take away from it. He's got to. But you know, regardless of how that knee is, he's got to hit his throws, and of course, he's got, he has to have some help on the outside. But Michigan's defense—if you look at Don Brown's defense—hasn't been overly impressive against running quarterbacks. So him having the threat to run it, or you know, possibly having Tommy Stevens in there to run it, I think is going to be something that uh, really could tilt things in Penn State's favor. I don't think Miles Sanders is it should really be expected to have a huge game. Michigan's run defense is phenomenal; they've shut down pretty much everyone. 
everyone, um, uh, you know, outside of Wisconsin, which I guess you could consider that being shut down based on their body of work elsewhere. So um, I think it's uh, it, it's it's going to be just all on Trace, and you, you don't really want to put it on him, especially with uh, you know a, a hobbled McSorley. But at the same time, this has got to be one of his signature games if they're going to get out of there with a win. You know, earlier I mentioned Shea Patterson hasn't needed to be uh, the guy with everything on his shoulders for the Michigan offense. Uh, the opposite end of the spectrum so far this season uh, for the senior Penn State quarterback. Trace McSorley has attempted 30 or more passes five times through these eight games. Um, on six occasions now, he has rushed at least 12 times in a game. Uh, we know that he's taken on a larger uh, responsibility as a rusher, <laughs> three games of 90-plus more rushing yards um, in the past five. So, you know, he has been asked to do a lot. And he, you know, now we're going to find out, can they game plan that way? Can he perform that way with a bit of an ailment? We don't know necessarily what the extent is of this injury. Uh, we're not going to learn about that uh, from talking with players or coaches. You know, we had a chance to speak with James Franklin twice this week. We spoke with Trace McSorley on Wednesday. Uh, needless to say, the the issue was asked about, uh, and Trace was asked if he would be wearing a knee brace uh, like we saw him in the second half, sporting one of those on his right knee. Uh, we didn't get answers there, and I think we're going to have to wait until this game kicks off, and we're not going to learn that right away. But uh, you know, when Trace is rushed, and, and this Michigan defensive front will get in his face and force him to do some things, probably early, you're going to find out. You know, is he is he able to evade pressure? Is he can can he plant that foot and and, and pop off of it? and get out of the pocket and, and move around and, and move laterally? Or is he now going to kind of, you know, be more susceptible to folding up and, and falling down and taking that sack? And, uh, you know, it's a big question. And, and last week after the game, James Franklin made it a point to say, you know, if, if Trace McSorley was going back in that game in the second half, he told Trace, I need the whole package. I can't have you being a pro-style quarterback and all of a sudden the dual threat stuff is out the window. Um, so I think that would be the case. That's the expectation here heading into another matchup against a tough defense and of course it helps to have a very capable backup in Tommy Stevens and you know but I do think we'll learn early about the mobility of Trace McSorley and what he's capable of accomplishing on the ground in this game. Penn State ran for 224 yards last year obviously a lot of the the attention was drawn to Saquon Barkley but uh, Trace McSorley 76 yards on 11 carries three of them going for touchdowns so obviously he he has had some success against them running the football uh, beyond that I think it, it you know it's kind of gone away from Penn State State's offense, but the big play down the field. I think Michigan, if there's one spot where they're susceptible, um, it's going to be down the field. Not sure who that's going to be that steps up. I think KJ Hamler obviously wants this one being from Michigan, and DeAndre Tompkins started to emerge last week, but you're not really sure where he's at. But uh, yeah, I think if you can go down the field and and not necessarily get a catch. James Franklin said on Wednesday night about Michigan's defense, they like to hold, they like to scrap and claw and, you know, sort of planted that seed for the officials to, to, to potentially throw a couple of flags, maybe maybe go into the game looking for it. And it's probably not the worst idea in the world. I think Pat Narduzzi did the same thing about Juwan Johnson earlier this year regarding offensive pass interference. So, you know, it's it's, it's precedented. I mean, you know, he thinks of everything. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be something interesting to see if Penn State does take those shots, can take those shots, especially in a situation where they're willing to give up a little bit of field position and maybe on a third down around midfield, where if you throw a pick, it's not the worst thing in the world. And an interesting nugget from Wednesday's practice uh, on that topic, James Franklin actually gave his scout team 
you know, directions to be extra grabby, to be handsy with these receivers and tight ends this week during the course of game prep and, you know, tug on the jersey a little extra, be more physical. And, and that's going to prime them for what they're, you know, going to expect against Michigan. That is a, an aggressive press man coverage, defensive approach on the outside. Um, you know, that's where Michigan's comfort zone is. And, and they have the ability to do that. And I think so. Who's going to be on the outside for Penn State? You know, that remains a bit of a question mark right now because of the status of Jawan Johnson. You know, we didn't see him in the second half against Indiana, after which he, he limped off the field. We did see him on pregame warmups uh, against Iowa last Saturday. He did not start the game for the first time this season, but he did t- see 10 snaps. Um, you know, it was a limited sample size. He didn't catch a pass. He was targeted. Um, didn't look himself. And and we don't know where he is physically. And if he is on the field, how much, how much availability can and how many snaps can he give you? So that means DeAndre Tompkins, again, coming off of his finest game of the Big Ten schedule, you know, led the team in targets last week, three first down pickups. I mean, that had to be a confidence booster for a guy that I know is even keel, but that has to be a, a breath of fresh air because it was a rough Big Ten schedule for him. Now, Brandon Polk could use one of those games. He's got three catches in five Big Ten games. He was approaching 40 snaps last week, a second straight week in which he did not record a reception. Um, so that's an issue. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown, is he someone who steps up on the perimeter? Um, you know, I think the slot is where you look to against this team. That means KJ Hamler. That means perhaps Jahan Dotson stepping in. Uh, and, and I think that's where you can exploit this team. And, and when they counter that and they start to bracket coverage, um, then that, that then you put the pressure on your outside guys and, and Trace McSorley's got to make those throws and, and they've got to come up with contested catches. But I think the key is, you know, slant patterns, crossing routes, um, you know, working as much as you can out of that slot. And I do think Miles Sanders, you, can you get him involved? Um, but I think Pat Fryermuth, KJ Hamler, uh, you know, crucial, crucial first-year contributors. We've said it all season long. Those guys are going to need to play like veterans again and, and in a stage they have not encountered on the road in their college career. So, um, you know, I, I hate to put a lot of pressure on these young guys, but it's worked so far. They've come through. See if they can do it again. Yeah, I mean, you have to go back to those guys. I mean, they're the only ones that have shown any sort of consistency. And by the way, you've reached that point in the podcast where we are talking about the receivers once again. Um, but uh, I think four catches for 53 yards coming back from last uh, last year, and that's Juwan Johnson and Brandon Polk. Got to find a different direction. Got to find somebody to step up. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton was huge out of the slot in this game last year. You you wonder if they go back to the smash fade. I know Hamler doesn't have the, uh, uh, the size that ha- Hamilton had, but he has the ability to get off the line of scrimmage and and you can be productive with that play on the other side not sure if you're going to see Rayshon Gary uh, Michigan has, has talked a little bit about him this week not really letting on whether he'll be there or not but at the same time Penn State preparing for him to be in there um, G- Gary's a, a, a game record he's a, a phenomenal player he was top recruit in the country a couple of years ago that's probably not the matchup to look for I think uh, if I'm looking for it I'm looking at Quiddy Pay kid out of Rhode Island um, uh, who has who's been an edge rusher he's been really good in the last couple of weeks you match him up against Will Fries or Chaz Wright that's going to be a you know an advantage for Michigan based on what we've seen this year so that's uh that's certainly one that uh you know Penn State would like to avoid yeah Quiddy Pay you know making a nice little statement for himself here as a sophomore but you know there aren't many Rashawn Gary's in football at any level you know there's a reason that this young man was heavily recruited entering his sophomore year of high school and and had everybody's focus on him all the way down to national signing day when he picked Michigan And, and since he got to Ann Arbor you know the expectations have been extremely high the double team blocking 
uh, game plan has been imposed by opponents almost immediately. And he started 18 straight games until missing the most recent three with a shoulder issue. And there's been speculation, you know, will he take that Nick Bosa route and say, hey, Ann Arbor, thank you for the memories. But, uh, you know, I'm going to move on uh, to the next phase of my career and get right physically and, and get ready to get my payday in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, his mother had a pretty passionate social media post and saying that, you know, her son is focused on following the medical orders from the Michigan staff and and doing everything in his power to get back on the field, help the Wolverines pursue a, a Big Ten championship and get in the college football playoff and make his mark here. Um, you know, but you know, we'll find out uh, on Saturday, probably not until, you know, the teams hit the field. And we'll see if Rashawn Gary's out there for warmups and then we'll see if he's out there, you know, when the teams line it up. But I think regardless of whether or not he's playing and he is such an impact difference maker and trust me, Penn State has already said they're planning as if he will play because that's what you've got to do you can't be underprepared for a guy like Rashawn Gary so you know Matt Limegrover calling him the total package um, at defensive end you know you, you can't run by him you can't run through him so now if he's on the field you know expect a healthy and hungry Rashawn Gary yeah, given the pieces around him, I don't think you necessarily need to play him. I mean, he's not going to be—he's just not going to take a chunk out of your defense. He's going to—he's going to hurt your defense because he's one of the best players in the country. But at the same time, it's not going to completely tank your defense if he's not in there. So if he's not close to healthy, I don't don't think he's run out there. Um, we, we said McSorley needs to be better. Another Penn State captain needs to be better. Blake Gillikin um, had a couple of good punts at the end of the game the other day. Field position for Penn State—you uh, know—regardless if they can get off the field if they can't get off the field this is a guy that has to flip it for him once or twice so this is going to be a big game for Blake Gillikin and the special teams I got to stay away from those self-inflicted wounds that we've seen so much of I haven't seen anyone pick Penn State to win by a very comfortable cushion I know you're not thinking that way I'm not thinking that way Mark Brennan isn't thinking that way and um, so no this is not a game where you can afford to to move past a a big critical mistake on special teams Uh, you know quite frankly it was remarkable to see them do that after you know two self-inflicted safeties uh, against Iowa and how rare is it to win a game when that has happened and and so yeah it's got to be better it's got to be clean Blake's got to be able to to deliver a complete performance the kind that that kind of set the stage for him to be an all-conference contender as we spoke about coming into the season and then Jake Pinnaker you know everyone's excited about him but he's going to face the biggest test of his career in front of a a huge audience at, at the big house and so can he duplicate his performance against Iowa we'll find out and by the way uh Folks very familiar with Michigan's kicker who has missed three field goals the last three weeks, Quinn Nordine, former Penn State commit. That will never be forgotten as far as as long as I'm covering this. People will never let that go. It's like the Dakota Royer pool jump and things like that. It's just legendary on its own. But anyway. And you look back to last year's matchup, a 29-point victory for Penn State. A lot to celebrate. But I think Nittany Lions fans cheered just about as loud as they did for anything when Nordine missed an extra point. It, it's really not difficult to root against him. <laughs> I'll say that. So um, getting away from that, uh, getting away from the game, I, I think it, it's a situation where Penn State is is going to have to play some of its best football. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, it has to control it, has to uh, protect the football, uh, keep those big plays from happening for Michigan, and and sort of let Michigan try and go conservative. We've seen them in the in the past sort of bottle themselves up at times, um, and if you can get that, uh, then you you've got a recipe for a win. I have Penn State uh, losing by eight, twenty-eight to twenty. I think, yeah, I 
didn't even read your prediction yet, so I apologize for that, but uh, it's not really unexpected. I think you're thinking along those similar lines. I've got a closer margin, but the same result. Uh, I'm predicting Michigan 26, Penn State 24, so another game that will command your attention for a full 60 minutes. Um, you know, To me, I think this is a game where Penn State will need to come up with consistent plays through the passing game. I think they're going to need to be sharp there, and I think it's just a hard spot to try to find a groove that that's been kind of evasive through the first eight weeks and to try to think that you can get it all locked into place in that passing game on the road against you know a top-ranked defense in in front of a hostile crowd I think that's asking a lot and makes it tough for me to give them the benefit of the doubt in that regard but I do think this is going to hang in the balance late Um, you know it'll be up for grabs you know and and because of that close margin you know this is a play you know something unexpected happens a pick six a special teams touchdown you know that could totally change the standpoint on how how this game is viewed but you know if it goes down to the wire you got Trace McSorley at quarterback um, you know if you're within a touchdown there at the end you got a shot you can't ask for much more than that got a shot got a shot uh right down the road lance dixon penn state commit uh presented with his all-american jersey on thursday just before we went on um and and had a few interesting things he's going to fly from that all-american game and, and enroll at penn state in january i think this is a big one you talk about all the kids that are coming up to enroll in january especially with this new red shirt rule dixon's a guy that's you know six two six two and a half two hundred pounds to get him in the weight room to get him on that meal plan right away i think is uh is a huge thing because this is a tremendously talented kid. Lance Dixon, also a track star, you know, someone who's played a lot of a safety hybrid role at the high school level. I think it's huge for him to get that head start. And I'm really intrigued by this linebacker tandem in general uh, with Dixon and Brandon Smith, who's just a different kind of athlete, six foot five, 225 pounds, long, physical. Um, you know, getting those guys on campus for spring is huge. And, and then you know, I think quarterback's another spot I look. You've got Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., a pair of players coming in early there. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a nice thing to have, and it's a bit of a luxury bringing all these guys in early. Penn State has 17 commits right now. Right now, 10 of them slated to enroll early. You mentioned Brandon Smith, uh, Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson, the junior college offensive lineman, Anthony Wigan, defensive backs, Tyler Rudolph, Marquise Wilson, Keaton Ellis, tight end Brenton Strange, wide receiver Emery Simmons, and of course uh, Lance Dixon. That's a lot to remember, but uh, 10 of them. I, I can't remember anything really close to that. I think six or eight may have been the, the highest, but to, to get these guys on campus, they all want to play early. They've talked about the, the potential to get in there and play early, and Penn State's played 15 freshmen so far this season, so you know the opportunity is certainly there. Um, then you've got guys like Zach Harrison, Noah Kane, Adisa Isaac uh, still out there who are also potential January enrollees so uh, it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of guys coming in here and I think it's gonna be an important spring for Penn State because as they continue to, to stockpile talent and build that depth around the program it's gonna be a lot of competition next spring. And it truly is a substantial boost to young players' development for him to be able to get on campus in January. You know, you compare that to getting on campus in June and, and then you only have, what, seven, eight weeks until, you know, you're, you're in summer camp and, and the season's right around the corner. And, and it's tough to do all that, learn everything and fight for a spot on the depth chart. And meanwhile, you get on campus in January. You know, I think psychologically it's a huge deal because, you know, you leave mom and dad's house. you got these different responsibilities. You've got a, a major regiment that's laid out before you by the Penn State staff and all the nutrition stuff that comes with it. You know, you're going to have new social challenges, 
new social temptations, all the things that, uh, you know, a, a division one athlete encounters on a college campus. And so, you know, those are the things you work through and, and then you get into winter conditioning and you learn a lot about yourself physically. And then by the time you're in spring camp, a lot of it is mental and getting the playbook down and, and getting everything on the same page. So once summer comes, you're ready to roll. Yeah. Um, and, 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 Beyond that, uh, you're looking at uh, a recruiting pro- or a program that's recruiting strongly right now. We talked in, in like two episodes ago. Not much happens at this time of year other than visits, and visits aren't uh, be all end alls for for commitments. But uh, a couple of new crystal balls for Penn State this week. Alan True put his in for Grant Hutton, uh, offensive lineman for Michigan, who visited last weekend. Steve Wiltfong put one in for Mark Anthony Richards, a running back from Florida that came up. That's certainly an eye uh, an eye opener for Penn State because they're looking to add to Devin Ford and you've got Mark Anthony Richards you got Noah Kane coming up next weekend for the Wisconsin game so I'm um, not saying there's a crush because I don't know that Penn State leads for for either of them but at the same time I mean you're you're in a position where you know if these are the guys that are on your board at this time of the year you're in a pretty good spot and then beyond that Brian Doan put one in for Devon Ellis I've also been pretty close on Ellis myself he's he's kind of all over the map and and, and sort of all these defensive tackles are when you talk about which schools like them and which schools want to commit to to taking them. He's got an Ohio State offer. I don't think he's a, a take for the Buckeyes right now, but Penn State has made him a priority right up there with Jared Harrison Hunt at the top of the defensive tackle board, uh, in addition to some some guys, uh, you know, a little farther or excuse me, a little further away, but uh, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out, because there's a lot of schools that are looking for these guys that are you know, 6'2", 6'3", that can you know, move and be 285 to 300 pounds, and there's not a ton of them out there, so um, Certainly some positive uh, momentum for Penn State with a guy like Devon Ellis. He played right beside P.J. Mustafer. He knows the area and he's uh, been pretty pretty vocal about that. So beyond that, um, maybe a little bit close. We talked about Theo Johnson last week. He's um, a, a Canadian tight end that was in for the game. Uh, feel fairly close on that, except we did open a map after the uh, <laughs> after the, the the episode earlier this week. He's from Windsor, uh, Ontario, which is right across from Detroit. So I think Michigan's going to be involved you mentioned Michigan State and I know you had the chance to catch up with him earlier this week spoke with Theo Johnson on uh, early Thursday and you know got a sense of where he's at right now in his recruitment I think he's got a lot of confidence that that his recruitment is going to continue to grow um, he mentioned Michigan Michigan State Miami among schools who have been in communication with him that have not yet offered uh, but you know he, he most of his offers are, are you know northern schools schools in the northeast schools that are a short distance to Canada um, and I think that's going to continue to grow. This kid's not going to be a secret for very long across Power Five football. He's not already, but you know, six foot five, two thirty-five, plays a lot of receiver um, at his at the high school level. And he mentioned the fact that you know during his visit, which by the way, it seemed like he made strides in his relationship with Tyler Bowen. Um, his mother was there, his brother was there. He's really impressed by how Penn State has implemented Pat Fryermuth during his first year on campus. Um, you know, four touchdowns in five games. We've talked a lot about Pat at the tight end spot, earning that starter's role. I think that's important for him to see. And then additionally, going back to something you mentioned there regarding the crystal ball pick for Richards, I learned a long time ago when Steve Wiltfong makes a crystal ball pick, your ears perk up and you should pay attention. And when he does it for a running back of this caliber, from South Florida to come all the way up to State College. I'll tell you what, that really grabbed my attention, that pick from Steve uh, for Richards to Penn State. 
that means Jaywan Sider is doing something right. Beyond that, Penn State's, uh, I guess, one of their top targets, if not their top target. Zach Harrison got his Army All-American game this week. Good news for Penn State. He still has not made a decision, which makes him, makes me think he's still wrestling with that uh, with that choice. Obviously, Ohio State, the obvious choice. I think Michigan has a lot of momentum right now. Penn State has been mentioned uh, you know, very high on his list as well. So I think the biggest thing to take away from that, he's, he's struggling, man. He, I think he even tweeted that last week that, you know, this is the the toughest thing that he's gone through, and for for him to be in a situation where he's not a slam dunk for the dunk for the Buckeyes, it's a it's a big for Penn State and Michigan. And the longer this Zach Harrison recruitment goes on, Sean, the more I get the sense that this is going to be something that he announces a choice in December during the early signing period. That way, you 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 announce your decision exactly when you sign the letter of intent. That way, there is no leeway. There is no room for other schools and coaching staffs to, to come and, and push you in a certain direction. Uh, you know, the, the pressure is going to be alleviated because, hey, the decision's been na- made. The letter's been sent in. I'm going to this particular school. But, you know, it, it is interesting. We've said it several times. You know, if, if he was convinced on the Ohio State Buckeyes, he would have been a member of this class a long time ago. Um, you know, Michigan, Penn State, firmly in that mix. It'll, it'll be interesting to watch. And, you know, something tells me he'll be a factor on the football field in a Penn State game next year, 2019. I just don't know if he'll be wearing a Nittany Lions uniform, a Buckeyes uniform, or a Wolverines uniform. But he's the kind of talent who is special enough to attract this kind of attention. And even though he's tight-lipped, and, and a reminder that not all five-star recruits are created equal in the way they handle social media. Zach Harrison won't say a peep. If you'll recall, Marco, Micah Parsons was more than happy to you know to let us know what was going on his in his recruitment just about every step of the way. The photos, the comments. Um, but you know that's that's the you know the different stuff. 17, 18 year olds. Uh, they're all going to handle this, this situation differently. The spotlight differently. And, you know, kudos to Zach Harrison for, for, you know, keeping things in perspective and not rushing to a decision because I think that's unfortunately something we see too often in recruiting is guys just making a decision to make a decision and take some pressure off themselves. Harrison's taking on that pressure. He'll find the right spot for him, but we're going to have to wait a bit longer. Um, that's going to wrap up our Lions 24-7 podcast today. Um, Sean will be holding down the fort in Happy Valley this weekend. I'm on a flight to Detroit, Michigan on Friday. I'm going to be checking out the game in the big house. Actually, my first visit to that stadium, so excited to see it. Of course, we'll be back with a fresh podcast on Monday to break down everything we see in Ann Arbor and look ahead to the next upcoming matchup against Wisconsin coming to Beaver Stadium on November 10th. Uh, Penn State. Michigan, this Saturday, we've got you covered with a ton of game day uh, content, of course, before, during, and after the game on our website. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Lions247, on Facebook as well. And, of course, you know, we have a website, Lions247. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue. On behalf of Sean Fitz, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like, comment on our podcast, and continue uh, to support it. We thank you for that. We thank you for listening. We thank you for your criticisms, and we thank you even more uh, for your compliments. Take care, folks.